0: Take a network break. Grab a virtual donut and join us for our weekly tech news analysis. We've got stories today on Cisco, Palo Alto Networks, HPE, and much more. Our sponsor today is Service Express. They're a leader in third-party data center maintenance. You can lower your support costs, extend the life of your hardware, and save up to 70% on server storage and network maintenance. Visit serviceexpress.com slash packetpushers to learn more and find out how you can win a $50 Amazon gift card. And hey, we've launched a brand new instructional course. It's called Practical Python Lessons for Networking. It's on our Ignition channel. You learn how to develop Python scripts for common tasks, such as detecting route changes, using Nornier, and more. It's got script samples, resources, and video instructions the instructor is python expert and author eric cho it's included with your 99 dollars annual membership that also gets you access to additional training courses white papers and more this is all at ignition.packetpushers.net all right let's dive into the news cisco live 2020 took place as a virtual event this past week with a keynote from chuck robbins and several tracks for online presentations Uh, greg i didn't find a lot of actual product news um outside of announcements around securex what about you
1: Yeah, we didn't see any uh, announcement constipation. Normally we see this, uh, you know, there's a constipation of announcements built up for the event and there's this diarrhea of product announcements. It's very difficult to find them all. And there wasn't any of that. The event was mostly a marketing pitch. I didn't see a lot of technology news. It just mostly it sort of was a recap of what Cisco sells, I think, was the best summary I could come up with. There was a lot of uh, preaching about how great Cisco is. They were talking a lot about how they were helping society uh, with Black Lives Matter and pandemic, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it was very U.S.-centric, and I guess it is Cisco Live U.S., so perhaps that's okay. Mm -hmm. But a couple of people made a comment to me outside of the U.S. that it was kind of like, this is the Cisco Live, and it was very parochial, like it was very focused on San Francisco, it sort of felt like. Mm -hmm.
0: I could see that. I mean, I guess given, as you mentioned, all the, the social unrest around. Uh- mm racial injustice in the U.S., that, that was very much something they focused on, plus the pandemic, which is hitting everybody. But obviously, Cisco being a U.S. company is going to take a U.S. focus. Um, I, I do feel like it was uh, more about here's what we are and what we've been doing and less mm. about here's what's new. Uh, I, for, to me, I feel like they spent a lot of time touting WebEx in the in the keynote. Uh, yeah, they really did. Mostly yeah. trying to counterweight it against Zoom, which has sort of become the de facto tool during the pandemic. And I think they felt the need to push back a little bit uh, I noticed they are desperately trying to position Zoom as the platform that you use to hang out with friends, uh, not for business, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's a label that's going to stick.
1: No, I, I don't think so. I think the challenge with Cisco is that its uh, WebEx is an enterprise IT product, and it operates like it and it feels like it. It's cluttered up. It's got a million buttons and knobs when you install it. It's not obvious how things work, whereas Zoom is, um, to my mind, the opposite. They only expose the things that you need to make the calls. And if you dig into it, you'll find all of these features in the back, whereas Cisco's made a decision to splash all of the features up front. Right. And I think that will prevent any serious adoption by casual users, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because that sort of cost of onboarding, like the time and energy you have to focus to get a call made in Webex is more substantial than Zoom. Zoom is also a much simpler product. It has to be said that uh, what they did talk about during the Webex pitch was uh, how they've got a whole bunch of differentiated features. So they've got the voice recognition assistant, so you can just tell the AI, the voice recognition engine, to add that as a minute for the meeting, Mm -hmm. and it'll collect collect the meeting. They were sort of emphasizing those features that were there. They touted the security integrations. It's got a bunch of security integrations with it has some identity, it integrates with corporate security, um, you know, all those types of things. So I think that that was true. And I agree with you that they certainly wanted to position it as the anti-Zoom because it's got to hurt when you've got a (laughs) a, a collaboration platform, you've spent multiple billions of dollars on it over a 10-year period after acquiring the business. And in fact, the founder of Zoom is actually the person who founded Webex.
0: Oh, really? I did not yeah. know that.
1: <laughs> I literally, left Cisco out of frustration with WebEx to go and start a, a, a conferencing product that actually worked. Uh-huh. Is literally what he said. I was watching a, a presentation, and he uh, has built a platform which is a lot more scalable. So, so WebEx has had a number of um, performance problems during the pandemic, you know, transition that we've gone through, and the suggestion that I've seen there is that Cisco's architecture for it just wasn't built to be massively scalable. It was sort of built to do what it's doing, and now they're finding that they're struggling to scale and, put, you know, to upgrade the data centers and get more servers and so forth uh, because it's all hosted in Cisco's data centers.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, then scale would be more of a challenge if you're hosting it yourself.
1: Yeah, that's right. But on the flip side, all of your GPDR, all of your data security is Cisco. So when you go and check the privacy policy, Cisco owns all the data, and it's in their data centers, and none of those are in China And, you know, there's a lot of counter-arguments you could go backwards and forwards here. Like, we know that Zoom, for example, has a substantial amount of development done in China, Uh whereas I don't believe Cisco has a lot of development done in China. Mostly it's done in India. Um, Is that a security risk or not? Mm, Arguably. It depends on where you sit on that type of debate. You know, most of the IT companies have substantial development in China these days. Extreme, Juniper, you know, Microsoft has a massive development team in China and so forth. So you know you could argue that it's is it is an issue or not hard to tell right but i think the webex story was pretty compelling it was a little bit uh it was also part of their customer experience thing so they talked a lot about customer experience and it took me a long time to get to grips with what that is did you have you seen that before or gotten into this whole customer experience or cx i didn't uh catch
0: on to it as sort of a, a product category no
1: no. turns out it's not a product category as such. I had to spend some time uh, this week digging into it to sort of make sure I could speak semi-intelligent about it, and I still don't feel like I've actually got a grip on what it is. But as best as I can tell, um, Cisco's customer experience is um, basically all of the SDN platforms that they've got are now starting to add uh, deep learning, machine learning, into them so that they start to do things for you. So it, it, one part of it is that there's an automation component, and sometimes it's driven by some sort of uh, cloud processing, you know, so ML, mm-hmm. DL, you know, or just straight-up linear automation. You know, if we do this, we'll do that for you. So I think there was part of that. And I think the second thing that they were trying to say is that this actually spreads across the entire portfolio. So the customer experiences this. We put software on top of our hardware, And then we try and make your experience of our hardware get better. So it feels more like an internal project Mm -hmm. um, that somehow leaked into their outbound messaging. The fact that Cisco products are more usable than before is laudable, but bringing it to your customers and saying, hey, look, our products are actually usable and turning that into a primary marketing message somehow feels... As long as I'm understanding this correctly, and I'm happy I'm happy to be corrected, but that's how I, I sort of feels a little wrong, if, if you know what I mean. Right. But the other side of it is a lot of integration. So all of a sudden you're starting to see WebEx communicating with Umbrella, which is able to then, you know, Umbrella is now working integrated with, you know, uh, Cisco's Intersight, which is working with multi-cloud. So we're actually seeing cross-department integrations, whereas before Cisco was very balkanized, we're seeing evidence of, you know, they've done a lot of talk for quite a few years now about how they're bringing the businesses together and unifying the strategy. Uh-huh. We're actually seeing some signs that this software is where the unification, so it's not happening down below. So you'll still see the products running as little islands for the people who want to run them like that. But if you want to mesh them together, it'll happen in the software layer, I
0: Okay. Well, that also ties into what they're doing with SecureX, which they originally announced back in March 2020, and now uh, at uh, Cisco Live said it will be available at the end of June. And it's a cloud-based front end. It essentially provides one place for customers to see, quote, key operational and threat metrics, unquote, from all of Cisco's security products. That includes network, endpoint, and cloud security. So I think Mm -hmm. along those same lines, again, it's a one- I uh, hate to say single pane of glass, but single pane of glass where you can surface up all of the, you know, important information coming from across the Cisco security portfolio again to make that user experience a little better.
1: Yeah, fewer planes of glass, I think. But this is where I'm saying the customer experience is um I think most customers want to engage Cisco as a unified whole, mm-hmm. not as not as a, you know, 50 thirty, forty, fifty business units all yes. going in different directions. Yes. And so where Cisco's chosen to do this is they're calling it customer an experience. experience. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing is slapping software over the top and then unifying it above. Is that the right way to do this? You know, only customers can make that decision. I think in some cases it makes sense. Um, in other cases, it doesn't feel joined up. Like it feels like we're only doing, you know, unifying it at one place, but it doesn't go all the way down the stack. And But that's probably okay where we are today. But the thing here is that you're also getting a lot of automation here. So mm-hmm. these customer experiences saying automation is in it. So when you go into the, you know, the monitoring charts or the analytics parts that they've put together uh, and they're making a big deal about, you know, all of this software tooling that they put together, they talked about DNAC. ACI was notable for its um, – they didn't talk about ACI at all, which was notable, I thought. Um, but, you know, all of those have – you know, charts and graphs and analytics and if you click this it does that. Those are automations in their own way. Mm -hmm. So I think Cisco's starting to really embrace that automation, which I think is worthwhile.
0: Yes, and they do have such a broad portfolio across so many business units that the more you can try to stitch it together for customers to make it easier to use would make sense as a strategy.
1: I I, I think so. And also a lot of customers like to take you know, to go all in with vendors. It's still Mm -hmm. I think it's you know, best of, we talk about having best in class, best in breed, but a lot of people think that's just choosing a single vendor. And if customers are in that path, then this makes sense for those customers who want to have take that strategy. I, you know, And for other customers, that won't be a strategy that they want to take. They'd rather have, you know, we want this, we want this, and they'll be m- more responsible. It's going to come down to money and also the strategy that you're following inside of your team. But I think CX, as far as it goes, is confusing until you sort of dig into it and hopefully i've got the right sense of what it is mm-hmm. uh, just coming back to zoom
0: for a second uh, as i was watching the keynote and watching them focus on webex and try to downplay zoom so much i thought maybe they should just get over it and buy zoom
1: not a bad idea in a way although i think zoom is um out of their price range now <laughs> probably you, know, WebEx. <laughs> you couldn't cisco usually uh, when i When I talk about Cisco's acquisitions, I like to think of them as the supermarket. Mm -hmm. So Cisco is a supermarket, you know, aisle one data center, aisle two SD-WAN, aisle three service provider, you know, whatever. And they'll normally buy products that they can put up on the shelf and that will instantly, you know, grow the revenue of that acquisition. Right. Whereas Zoom would not be accretive. It would be destructive. They're literally buying a competitor out to get market share and who's their competitors well you know microsoft you've got slack teaming up with aws you've got google pushing in google meet it's not a bad strategy in a way because cisco needs to get critical mass here if it wants to win yep um because all those other strategies are going to be so much more compelling to many companies i don't you know we've never seen cisco win the ip telephony war we've never seen them win the collaboration war they've had you know 10 years of Webex and not really made a, a go of it. Teams is more successful being pulled through, through the Microsoft Office Office 365. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that, that Zoom would give them, uh, you know, an immediate uh, sort of win in that space, in the video collaboration space. Uh, they've also got Webex. They uh, have a record of running, uh, you know, competing products side by side. I'm thinking about Meraki and their own Cisco Catalyst uh, an Aeronet YLAN technology, so mm. it, it can happen. Um, it, it's an interesting idea. I don't know that they'll go for it, but it just occurred to me, and I thought, oh, I want to think about this a little bit."
1: My sense of it is that Zoom's just too high. It's got a sixty-eight billion dollar market cap. Yeah, it, it would be right. a big, big buy. That would be a big, big buy. You know, you um, and to make an acquisition at that sort of scale, you know, if you were to spend seventy billion dollars on a you know hostile takeover of Zoom. Cisco would have to be able to say, I'm going to generate three or four hundred billion out of that over a 10 year period.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, financially it may not be feasible, right? Yeah. At this point. You know,
1: Cisco's already spending a a billion dollars a year on WebEx. Yeah. Mm. It would be a good idea, I think. It should be it could be something they should do. But, you know, at that sort of market capitalization with a, you know, and it's got a PE ratio of 187. Wow. So yeah, profits to earnings. So it's making, you know, just extraordinary <laughs> it's just boggling right? right cisco doesn't buy companies in that class it's always bought companies at fair value yeah or yeah cisco's normal strategy is to rock up on the doorstep and say we've got an offer here it is on thursday morning and you've got to monday to accept it or we're out right that's their normal strategy yeah so that, that we're gonna pay this that
0: leverage anymore yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and whereas zoom's just gonna go like uh sure <laughs> <You know>? right <laughs> oh. yeah so that's the story anyway yeah, yeah. yeah, overall, Cisco Live wasn't – there wasn't a whole lot of news, which is unusual. Um, But I think Cisco did turn to sort of say we wanted to fill the gap, reach out to customers and assure them that we're there. Um, I haven't been able to watch – DevNet was yesterday, so they followed it up with more of a technical session. Some of the people uh, in their Slack channel said that the DevNet session was more satisfying. Mm -hmm. I didn't generally find Cisco Live very satisfying. It didn't have anything there. That you know, I that that appealed to me, but other people have said that it did to them. They felt that that uh, they that Cisco reached them. So um, I'm my commentary may not be valid.
0: Yeah, I saw a lot of positive response on Twitter from folks feeling like the event overall went well. So you know, it's. Depends on where you're coming from, it, but yeah. So yeah. I, the, I, we're going to have to, I think, get used to virtual events for the time being. So <laughs> we've, we've now seen Aruba and Cisco do it. We'll uh, entertain to see how VMware and Just AWS on, handle turned it.
1: Up to a Cisco keynote without a hangover. <laughs> 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 it's, it's normally, you're in somewhere. You're in a You meet some people. Or you, Was you know, that on
0: purpose or because of lack of foresight and planning?
1: Well, you know, it didn't. There was nobody here to buy me alcohol. you, know? <laughs> you got to have a vendor credit. Yeah, that's right. not, I'm yeah. not going to get drunk on my own time. <laughs> it's usually somebody who says, come and have a drink with me, and you say, well, all right, just one, you know, eight drinks later, you know, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah you know, it, it is just one of those things. Oftentimes uh, I actually quite like them. I think they're much better. I think the virtual event thing is still a problem, of course. Uh, we're not. Seeing the best of what the vendors can do, I don't think they're taking a lot of time to think about the customer experience or the audience experience, but hopefully that will iterate and get better over time. Yeah, thanks. So So one piece of news that did come out, got a little bit uh, hidden away, was that uh, there's a post out that they're appointing G2 Patel, who's joining Cisco as Senior Vice President and General Manager of a newly formed security and applications business group. So this is a a new business group that actually compresses collaboration, which is WebEx, right, and Uh IP telephony, security and applications into one business unit. So we've seen Chuck Robbins do a lot of this where he bundled up all the enterprise apps into one space. And up until now, collaboration and security and applications have been separate. So he's obviously taken the decision to appoint a single manager. So you're going to see collaboration security and apps, though that includes App Dynamics and, you know, the IoT business unit and things like that, uh-huh. and the other applications like Duo Security that they bought and so forth, they're all going to come under a single head. So you're going to see this unification more as uh, Cisco's appointing these managers together. It was sort of almost hidden away in a way. Apparently this person, I think two things about it. One is um, this is an outside hire. It's not often that Cisco hires from outside. Uh-huh unless it's somebody who's left the company and they're hiring them back inside. That happens quite a bit, but you'd still think of them as Cisco people. Right. Um, and this person particularly comes from box, which is an enterprise focus. So um, interesting to see that sort of movement coming around the place. So, okay. Some organizational
0: changes.
1: I think, well, Chuck Romans has done a lot of things internally just to get Cisco to focus. I think this is where the CX stuff I just talked about come from is right. stop, stop, you know, being little islands and fiefdoms and doing your own things separate from each other, start working together. And I suspect this is another move in that direction, and which I am, I would believe to be very positive. And I think most investors would regard this as a positive step. All right. uh,
0: Plenty of links in the show notes uh, if you want to go investigate uh, Cisco Live for yourself. Uh, Let's move on. Palo Alto Networks made some significant announcements last week, including that they are running machine learning directly on firewall appliances. They also have a new IoT security feature and a containerized L7 firewall that you can run in your Kubernetes deployments.
1: Yeah. So we've seen a lot of talk about machine learning in the security space. So obviously, once you start collecting a lot of people's data, which is what uh, Palo Alto's been doing with its Prisma service. It's a cloud-based service for collecting threat data and then turning it into threat management, threat detection, threat locking. What they're now saying is that they're so confident in their ML that they're now going to automatically um, push inline machine learning models into the firewall so that it can actually do it um, at the at the site. Right. So once you once you build your models in machine learning, you you get your data and then you generate, you do some machine learning, and out the other end comes a model of something out of that data. And what um, Palo Alto is doing here, in my view, is putting those models down into the firewall. And they're doing that in two ways. One is uh, for inline um, detection for previously unknown attacks. So if you've got a bunch of models that know what an attack looks like, and you've got a high sense of quality about that model, why not just put it in the firewall and let it start detecting new attacks that it doesn't necessarily know explicitly. So it's a move away from heuristics again. And then they also talked about uh, firewall rules. So they're using the same conceptual idea of machine learning derives a model. So we can now actually recommend policies. So if I see this traffic, I can recommend a firewall rule to you. Uh
0: Yeah, so the idea is what they're claiming is that with these ML models embedded directly into the firewall appliance, they can spot variants of known attacks that they don't have signatures for yet, as well as zero days, and they say they're going to spot up to 95% of new malware, and anything they miss would then get uploaded to their cloud analytics platform to generate a signature that, again, gets pushed down to the local firewall.
1: And at least they didn't claim it was AI. It seemed incredibly honest to them to call it machine learning. You know, we do do like to make fun of you know because AI is AI, and a lot of these companies are actually only using statistics or deep learning, or even maybe a bit of machine learning. Yeah, so I'm never quite sure about AI when vendors claim it. But Palo Alto, you know, they get an extra point for not calling their AI, they're calling it what it really is, which is ML, not AI.
0: Yeah, although I will say, uh, based on the blog and the press release that came out, there are scant details on how it actually works, so that uh, black box mm-hmm. element is always a little frustrating to me. Uh, so I'm Putting this in the I need to know more category.
1: Yeah. And then to talk about the Kubernetes, they're announcing a next the first next generation firewall for Kubernetes. I imagine there's quite a few other firsts out there that somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just scoff quietly about that. I'm pretty sure. Um, they're not actually putting the firewall in a container. They're just saying that we have a suitable set of firewall rules and policies for container security so they are going to be able to understand vulnerability management in the context of a container runtime security in the context of a container identity based microsegmentation of containers and layer 7 inspection and threat protection so it's not actually running in a container it sounds to me as if it's just like we are adding it to our existing portfolio so they did buy a company called um, Twistlock a while ago, which was a container security company, and basically they're integrating that into the Prisma Cloud. So I suspect it'll be a combination of, you know, streaming logs coming out of the Kubernetes infrastructure, feed them into the Prisma Cloud, and it's going to go like, oh, security problem here, security problem here. You know, we're con- we're container aware. We're not in a container. Per se. Interesting. Okay. And we're also infrastructure aware.
0: Not... That's an important distinction.
1: Yeah. There's no point in putting a firewall in a container, really.
0: I mean, I guess I, you know, sort of do it maybe in a service mesh.
1: Yeah, you put it on the edge of your service mesh. But the the key here is to be, for security infrastructure, to be monitoring all the data about the containers. So pulling the logs from the containers, pulling the logs from the Kubernetes. Right. And, and then feeding them into a system and going, oh, hang on, that looks like a threat. Or, you know, why is this container suddenly trying to do that?
0: Yes, yes, right. Yeah, this, uh, you know... Database container should not talk to that application container or web container, et cetera. You can, there are rules and such you can look out for.
1: Yeah, that's right. Something like that. I'm not a container expert enough to really.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, on the IoT front, they have also rolled out a new IoT security service Uh, using their firewalls. They can, they say, they can now identify IoT devices on the network, monitor IoT device behavior, and recommend and enforce IoT security policies. Uh, This is incorporating intelligence from Zingbox, which is an IoT security company that Palo Alto acquired last year. Although again, this is uh, IoT security running right on the firewall, as opposed to in the cloud.
1: Insert obligatory IoT statement in press <laughs> release. <rates. laughs> That's what that felt like to me. But, yeah.
0: uh, well, a little bit more to me because we talked about Aruba's uh, ATM digital event uh, and mm-hmm. their ESP platform. And a lot of what they were talking about was IoT security as well. I think uh, a lot of vendors are recognizing IoT as a new opportunity for them. And, and Palo Alto has certainly caught down to that as well.
1: It's not a new opportunity. It's the only opportunity that's left after everything moved. I guess it's my instinctive response.
0: (laughs) Appropriately cynical. All right. Again, links in the show notes. If you want to find out more Uh, in other product news, HPE has announced the HPE edge orchestrator. It's a software as a service offering for telcos that want to run customer applications and services at edge sites like central offices, cell towers, and pops. As far as I can tell this, Edge Orchestrator is designed to let telco customers remotely manage HPE servers from a SaaS platform.
1: That's it. So the idea is is that uh, HPE wants to work with telcos. It wants to be selling its servers to telcos. Telcos, of course, put a lot of servers at the bottom of 5 g base stations. They have cabinets full of the little things, little buggers. Mm -hmm. And they also have um, POPs all around the countryside. So if you're a telco, you have what we used to call telephone exchanges. They're all now mini data centers. Mm -hmm. And HPE is now saying um, that they want to be able to offer that as a service. So this is linked to GreenLake. So that telcos can now come to HPE, buy a cluster of hardware at a rental price uh, as a consumption-based fee and get the advantage of cloud pricing, if you will, but actually having the hardware that you want at the edge of the network and under your control. Mm -hmm. So... Where we've seen, you know, Microsoft Azure go out and buy MetaSwitch and start running, saying, well, you can run all this software in our cloud. HPE saying, well, you still need to run something at the edge, and here's a hardware platform for that.
0: Yes. If you uh, aren't careful in reading the press release, it also, I mean, a quick review makes it sound like HPE is running a bunch of applications uh, for telcos but that's not it this is essentially a hardware play
1: it is and it isn't i think this the this particular release is about the hardware yeah. and the orchestration of that hardware but there is a whole hp 5g business you know that actually does the software as well they're just not including it here got it okay so they would still be trying to turnkey that in the same way that microsoft by buying MetaSwitch and other 5g players are starting to move into that space then hp also has a turnkey solution Mm -hmm. as does nokia and ericsson by the way so nokia and ericsson both sell servers and edge gear and nokia has a thing called airblades which is their edge strategy and you know racks of gear x86 servers and so on and that they manage as part of their maintenance contracts for all of this stuff
0: Mm -hmm. uh quick break to tell you about our sponsor today service express Don't let the OEM swipe your IT budget. If buying new data center hardware isn't an option, consider third-party maintenance from Service Express. You can lower your support costs, extend the life of your equipment, and save your IT budget. Refresh your service not your hardware. Surface Express offers penalty-free coverage adjustments, short-term gap coverage, 30-minute engineer callback, and dedicated local primary and secondary engineers. Surface Express says they have a first trip repair success rate of 97%. Visit serviceexpress.com slash packetpushers. And while you're there, you can learn how you can win a $50 Amazon gift card. That is serviceexpress.com slash packetpushers. Uh-huh. Let's get back to the news. Zoom, back in the news, the company has announced a roadmap and strategy for end to end encryption. They're trying to balance end user privacy with concerns about Zoom's platform being used for abuse of children and other crimes.
1: So, this story is, of course, very political. Uh, lots of security experts have been flapping their gums about how only end to end encryption is acceptable and any other form is not safe and people will be compromised and all that sort of thing. But my understanding is from tracking some people in the security industry is that they know that Zoom is currently being abused by criminals and worse, uh, you know, sexual exploitation and a range of different things. Mm-hmm. And they're using the free service to do that. And what they want to do is leave that unencrypted so that law enforcement or the to, uh, can get in there and see mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's not You know, it's not hidden away. So what they've actually done here is they've said free or basic users can get end-to-end encryption provided they sign in and prove their identity. Right. So it's to try and stop this, you know, abuse of free services for malicious actors. And you have to verify it with a phone number via a text message is basically what they're saying. And a phone number, of course, you can then say to law enforcement, here's a phone number that they use to register this account, and then law enforcement can go into its thing. So I think this is a reasonable trade-off here. Um, Does that sound reasonable to you? It does. I mean, whenever you talk
0: about end-to-end encryption and wanting user privacy and safety, immediately um, governments will say, "What about the children?" And obviously, yes, we want to be able to catch child predators and other criminals, but you know, we have to have a balance between uh, <laughs> our own privacy <laughs> and law enforcement. And so, yeah, I think Zoom has. Uh, to me, this sounds like a reasonable way to split that difference.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, end-to-end encryption prevents lawful intercept. Mm -hmm. Once you have and that's exactly what Facebook did with WhatsApp, and now you have things happening on WhatsApp that is criminal activities or or much worse, and Facebook can sit back and say, not my problem. But Facebook is running into a political issue. I think Zoom's coming up with a balanced or a fairly nuanced thing, and that's beyond what most people, and certainly beyond most headline writers. Um, It's also worth noting that any landlining calls will still be unencrypted. Because yes. you can't encrypt a voice call. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got somebody telephoning in, that part of the call is always tappable and unencrypted. So I think Zoom's avoiding the government oversight that might happen. And they're watching what's happening with Facebook and Apple around the uh, – uh, and Google around, C- you know, the the indecency laws in the US. 230, they call it, don't they? CD 230. And there's a you know, big hoo-ha in the US government about rescinding their rights that they have to start monitoring content and doing more about that sort of thing. So right. I've always felt that impl- implementing encryption for paid users was a reasonable trade-off. Now what they're doing is say, you can have end-to-end encryption as long as you give away your identity. Okay, not a bad trade-off because at least then you can say, if you're a bad actor, we can kick you off.
0: Yes, I think the U.S. government is going to continue to press uh, tech companies for even more access. Uh, so this won't be the end of it for Zoom or others, Facebook, Apple, uh, pretty much everyone who's dealing with uh, user data. So this won't be the last we hear of it.
1: But in the meantime, I think Zoom has come up with an interesting compromise. I just realized this morning that Cisco has a tool called Webex People Insights, and uh, it actually automates the collection of publicly available data data of people on the call. So you can go into your Webex turn on a feature of some sort, and it literally goes out and says, oh, who's on that call? Goes and searches up all data, like finds their Twitter account, finds their LinkedIn, and then gives it to you. Now, that I think is a feature where WebEx will be for webinars and for events where it can actually give you a list of who joined your Uh, conference call Mm -hmm. and, you know, who joins your event. And you can get a full profile of everything about them and then you can feed it into your customer surveillance system (laughs) and get something out of that. I just wanted to let you know that that is actually a thing. It's called WebEx People Insights. I'll send you a link to, uh, to a Cisco page if you want to read up more about that and if that's something that you want to take advantage of or learn more about. So, you know, privacy is privacy perhaps or not as the case may be.
0: Yes. Well, something like that, Cisco could say, well, you put your stuff on LinkedIn. It's anybody can go get it and they have a point. So, yep. Uh Moving on, T-Mobile in the U.S. suffered a massive outage that took down voice and text service for more than 100,000 users. T-Mobile says the problem started with the failure of a leased fiber circuit from a third party provider, which then cascaded into, quote, an overload situation that then triggered an IP storm that triggered the outage.
1: Yeah, this is interesting because uh, not only in the fact that the outage went out for nearly two days, it was certainly the majority of the network was down for some hours or a substantial part of the network in the U.S. was down and it took them well over 24 hours to get all of the network back. And it looks as if uh, where the failure was in a subleased circuit, it's not 100% clear to me whether that same circuit was used by AT&T and Verizon in the U.S. as well and they also went out or whether there was uh, collateral damage when people from AT&T and Verizon couldn't ring people in the T-Mobile system and start mm. reporting outages mm-hmm. but uh, apparently the main main this trunk was actually being used for VoLTE or voiceover LTE calls and when it took it down it took down the voice calls now the the reason that this got such a high profile is when voice calls go down government gets involved because you can't ring 911 right and the one thing that local government state government Gets uh, can control is that people have access to emergency services if they need to, and it gets it's a vote winner in just about every country, where (laughs) of course, and uh, or where you have an emergency service. And so now, um, the FCC is signaling that it will conduct a review, which is kind of amusing. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) this is the same FCC that's given away most of its authority to require telcos to do anything. So the current head of the FCC, Ajit Pai has been walking back any sorts of uh, authority, literally writing out the legislation and removing it to say that, you know, let the market do it, the light-touch regulation. And now he's actually signalling that he wants to get involved to see what happened here. And it's hard to believe that, you know, 20 years ago, the government would literally treat telcos as critical national infrastructure, and they were required by law to be highly reliable networks. Telephone networks had to work. They were sort of like a... partly a wartime thing, partly about protecting the interests of the country, you know, business and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also personal safety. And yet now that market, especially in the US, is much more self-regulated, and the US market particularly so. So it'll be interesting to see... If anything comes out of it, because I wouldn't expect anything to come out of it. I expect uh, Ajit Pai and
0: the FCC will be very concerned, very concerned, uh, and there will be some harrumphing and uh, shrugging of that'll shoulders. Be that'll
1: center. be the end of it. And there'll be some table thumping. <laughs> That's right. And when nobody, when uh, when nobody's looking, that'll be it. Yeah, <laughs> it yes. be done. Ajit
0: Pai will waggle his oversized Reese's mug at T-Mobile, and then uh, we'll move on. Yeah. I also want to note that a Twitter rumor surfaced that the U.S. was under a massive DDoS attack. Uh, the rumor was picked up and spread uh, a lot of places, including some congresspeople, who were like, ah, DDoS attack, uh, before the technical and security community weighed in with evidence to say, no, this is not a malicious event. It looks like an <laughs> outage. Everybody calm down. <laughs>
1: yeah, just, uh, yeah, don't jump to... <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Be, Be careful care- what you jump- retweet. <laughs> yeah, Don't jump to those conclusions. It's just not a thing, you know.
0: Uh, So last but not least, Telegeography has released its 2020 submarine cable map if you'd like to see all the underwater links spanning the globe.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to look at, um, is to sort of understand how the global network, because all of our cables, all of our international traffic, where it goes across the oceans, is sort of on this map. And it's a great service from telegeography to just have a look at that and amuse yourself with where the cables go for your country and watch them move you know around europe around africa and all that sort of stuff and uh and i always like to um when i was working for companies and people would say well what do you mean south africa's not working you pull up the map and you say well the cable could go this way and it could go this way and that cable belongs to a consortium between seven companies who all share it and and at that point the it managers and the project managers shut up because they realize how stupid they are because they really they think they know and then you show them this map and they go like oh actually yeah you know yeah, you know want... mm. one okay. so, so i found this a really good way to make uh, it managers and project managers feel insecure and incompetent as they are <laughs> <laughs> something
0: to have in your back pocket you never know when you yeah. need
1: that <laughs> it's both fascinating and useful at the same time it doesn't actually have any practical use other than to yeah <laughs> I did recently do a project, though, where I had to design an optical system and the landing points for where these cables came on shore was a key part of the early phase of the planning. Mm -hmm. But it does have uses if you're doing, you know, countrywide network planning. For sure, Mm -hmm. yeah. And even Mm -hmm.
0: if you're just curious, it's fun to look at. All right, well, that's the news. Thanks to Service Express for being a sponsor. Uh, If you want even more news analysis and press release deconstruction, check out the Packet Exchange. It's a new YouTube series from the Packet Pushers' very own Ethan Banks. Ethan's bringing you tech news. He answers audience questions, and he provides technical tips. Just go to YouTube and search for Packet Pushers. Uh, In the meantime, Greg, where can folks get more from you online?
1: Uh, I'll be tweeting at at Mind. I'm sort of uh, spending more time there because it's become a very powerful way to talk to you. Um, if you'd like to talk to me at any time, you can always head over to my um, – just contact me by email or hit our FU page, uh, say some follow-up. If you want to chat about something, maybe you've got a network or you want to chat about some ideas or some of the comments that I've made during the show, maybe I've got something wrong and I need to get it right, please do send us to uh, your follow-up or just get in contact. I'd love to have a chat off the record, on the record, whatever. in the record, whatever, you know, love to get, you, love to hear from you. I'm always available. Well, As long as my automated calendar says that I'm available, then I'm available. So, you know, love to hear from you if you want to have a chat about whatever it is you're doing. Very good. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh,
0: spreading rumors about DDoS attacks at Drew underscore CM and I'm blogging at packpusher.net. Thank you for joining us. We love to have you listening. We appreciate your time. If you like the show, tell a friend, leave a like on Facebook or a recommendation on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening.